want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 21, last page of the last gospel. John chapter 21. We're talking about church. We're in a series, started a series last week called One Another, One Another. And I'm going to ask you the same questions I started with last week. I'm going to give you another chance to get it right this time. All right. Tell me what you have to have to be married. License. Somebody got it. You have to have a license. You have to have a license. You're married. You have to have five people sign it. You have to have the man and the wife, man and woman. You have to have the preacher and two witnesses. If you got that, you're married. How many of you that have been married for a while believe it takes more than a license to have a marriage? Whoa. I guess it does, doesn't it? Bottom line, we've got books that thick, libraries on how to be married. It all boils down to one thing. A great marriage comes from one thing, the way you treat one another. That's it. If you have a great marriage, it's not going to be because you're rich, got a big home, well-educated. It's all going to be about the way you treat one another. That's marriage. A family, to have a family, you have to have a common father or mother. But you can have a common father or mother and have a family that's a train wreck. You don't build great families by biology. You build great families by the way you treat one another. Now to have a church, you have to have one spirit father and all of us commonality in that. But you can have a church that looks like the mafia. You don't believe that, do you? I pastored a few of them. You can have a church that looks like the mafia. You don't build a church by having a common father. You build a church by the way you treat one another. All of life boils down to the way you treat one another. What's happening in our culture and our, our nation right now? We're treating each other terribly. And what has happened is the Bible said, don't be conformed to this world. Be changed. Be different. Be different. I don't even know the followers of Jesus should be different. The followers of Jesus should be different. All right. What we've done is we've let our society teach us how to treat each other. We didn't mean to. It just sort of got on us. We let our society treat each other. And we treat people the way our culture treats people. You know, if you're pretty nice to me, I'll be pretty nice to you. you ugly to me, I'll be ugly to you. If you're not my type, I won't even look at you. That's our society. It's the way we treat each other. We've let that seep in the church. Jesus said, don't, don't be like that. Don't let them mash you into their mold. You treat each other different in here. And we treat each other. It's the way we build our lives. It's the way we build everything in life is if we do that. All right, does anybody here belong to a church? I've got three people belong to a church. We'll give you a chance to join later on in the service here. How many of you belong to a church? Okay. Does anybody belong to this one? Okay. Whoa. All right. Got my crowd here today. What does that mean? Does that mean you wrote your name on a piece of paper? Does that mean you come listen to the music, hear a guy talk? What does it mean to belong to a church? I mean, listen, guys, we, we know about this thing right here. I got saved and I, I, now I've got a relationship with God. That's only half of it. The day I got saved, I got a real relationship with the creator of this universe and I got a family. This is the half we don't talk about. You know, when I'm counseling people to get married, I'll, once in a while a guy will say to me, well, I'm not marrying her family, I'm just marrying her. <laughs> and I'll say, you... You fell out of the idiot tree and hit your head on every limb on the way down. You're dumb as a brick, Moose. I got news for you, Bubba. You, it's like bananas. You get the whole bunch. You get her, you get the family. Can I get a witness? My son-in-law was here yesterday, yeah. We keep forgetting that when I follow Jesus, I got a family. And he puts me in a family. 
And, and this, is, this is what we call church. Well, all right, if I'm, if I'm a part of a church or I join a church or whatever you want to call it, do I have a responsibility to that church? What is it? All right, let's look at it. Let's turn with me in scripture to John chapter 21. We're there. This is the last thing. Jesus has already been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's fixing to step back up into glory. This is the last thing he says on the last page of the last gospel. What's the last thing Jesus said before he went back? John 21, 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Dear ones, let me ask you something. Isn't that the question? It's not, do you go to church or are you a good person? What's the real question at the root of everything in life? Do you love Jesus? Do you love me? How many of you here love Jesus? All right, he said, he said, do you love me? And Simon said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And watch what Jesus said to him. He said to him, then you tend my sheep. What's tend mean? Take care of. You take care of my people. Y'all see that right there? This, this man who loved Christ, he said, I want to die. I'll die for you. You can't get away from me. And Jesus said, you, you really love me? Do you, do you love me? Simon said, you know I love you. He said, then you take care of my people. According to the Bible, what is the mark of a person that loves Jesus? They sing Christian songs. They go to church. What's the mark of a person that loves Jesus according to that verse? They take care of God's people. They tend his sheep. Now, see, this is not the way... Difference what the Bible calls church and what we've made it in America is so far apart, it's ridiculous. What did Jesus say? You take care of my folks. Take care of my people. Let's turn back a few pages to the left. John 13. We saw this last week. We'll read it again. Now, this is right before Jesus is crucified. This is the last teaching that he gave. And he said this to his people. A new commandment. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love Who? Love Jesus, love one another. As I've loved you, you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How am I supposed to know if you're a follower of Jesus? What's the Bible say? Watch the way I treat his people. Watch the way I tend his sheep. Watch the way I love his people. Uh, dear ones, this, this is sort of a different twist because in America we talk about, well, I, I love the Lord and I'm studying and I'm learning and whatnot. But the biggie, the big issue is taking care of his people, looking after his people and caring for them. And uh, all right, I want you to look with me. Let's turn and, and let's see how we do that. According to the New Testament, I want you to turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's see the makeup here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you will, turn me down just a little bit there. I'm making myself nervous. All right, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, this is where he's talking about church and the body of Christ. And uh, this is shocking to people. This is new to people. I want you to see, here's what the Presbyterians say. Here's what the Methodists say. Here's what the Baptists say. Here's what the stomp down by the gas stations say. Let me ask you a question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about it? Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has placed or set the members, each one of them in the body, just as what? He pleased. All right, are you a follower of Jesus? Anybody here born again? Anybody here Christian? What does the Bible say right there? Every child of his, he places them in a local body as he pleases. You ever heard that thing, attend the church of your choice? You see it on the back of a truck, attend the church of your choice. It's not right. What does the Bible say? You need to attend the church he put you in. 
You need to be in the place he puts you in. Can you see clearly the scripture says that the Lord takes every person. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus. What do I do? He said, I'm going to put you in that place right there. And I'm going to place you in that body right there. And listen to me. It's not just so you can learn. It's not so you can sing. Why did he put me? I believe he put me right here. I believe I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're here. I believe you're here by God's appointment. You say, well, no, I just, I, my cousin brought me. I believe the king was in it. If you're a part of this church, he puts you here. And this is the body he's assigned you to. And here's the reason the scripture says, verse 24, the Bible says this, our presentable parts have no need. God composed the body. Who puts churches together? The Lord puts churches together. Having given greater honor to the part which lacks, verse 25, there should be no division in the body. I right, watch these words, but that the members should have the same care for who? One another. There it is again, one another. Tell me why he puts the church together. He put the church together so that the who? Now what do we do in America when somebody's having a problem or needs something? What do we do? Call a preacher. Call a preacher. Let him go take care of him. What does verse 25 say right there? God puts people together so they can do what? What does it say? Take care of one another. That's why we have churches so people can come together and to take care of one another and to look after one another. All right, verse 26. If one member suffers, what do we do? Everybody suffers with them. My goodness, how, how are we going to work this out in a crowd this size? I'll tell you in a minute. If one member suffers, everybody suffers with them. Now, I've got eight people in my immediate family. Uh, me and my sweetheart, my youngins and our in-laws. We've got eight people in our family. One of our kids got sick a couple of weeks ago over in the Middle East, contracted typhoid fever and ended up having to have surgery. Well, we were all concerned about that. We were suffering with her. We're praying with her. How are you doing? We're checking. See, she's suffering, so we all got in there with her. That's called family. That's what families do. What the Bible say church is. But if one person's going through something, everybody jumps in there with them. Everybody gets in there and suffers with them. All right, what's the rest of that verse say? If one member suffers, everybody suffers with them. If one member is honored, everybody does what? Everybody starts hollering. If one member's honored, we all, what's this talking about right here? This is not come sit and listen to the man talk. This is not about this way. This is about this way right here. This is what, what are you going through? You having a problem? Here, y'all come around here and let's pray for them. I'll be checking up with you this week. Or you got a raise. Praise God. Y'all know they got a raise. Celebrate. You had a grandchild. I'm sorry. Well, just celebrate whatnot. There was the, let, do you understand what the Bible is saying here? God puts people specifically in places. Not, this, not so it works this way. It works this way. It works amongst the people. What do you call that? Church. Then I can worship God by myself. I can read the Bible by myself. I can pray by myself. I can't have family by myself. This is what the church is. And in America, we've turned it into this production with disco lights and fancy music and well-educated you know, speakers. God said church is supposed to be a family where people look out for each other and care for each other and they get excited with each other and they do life together and they share with one another. This is a picture of a New Testament church. Verse 27 says this, now you're the body of Christ. There was, you're not the body of Christ till you start weeping with people who weep, suffering with people who suffer, celebrating with people who are celebrating and what? Taking care of one another. We're not even close to church until we begin to do that. So this is the picture of what church is. Now, so Brother Brown, how do we do that? How do, how do we take care of one another? That's why the Bible, let me get mine out here. If you've got your bulletin, we put it in there again this week. That's why the Bible has those one another's in it. 
This is how we take care of each other, the one another. And this is so foreign to the average American church thinker. You say, well, this is not how we do church. Well, let me ask you a question. Am I making this up? No, this is scripture. This is getting back to New Testament church. And I'm gonna show you the great thing about it in a second. All right, the Bible said this. We take care of one another. There are 57 one another's in the New Testament. I've distilled it all down to about 10 that cover everything. Last week, we talked about receiving one another. You know, when you, you bring your, your family together, we receive people. Everybody comes in here. In America, we pretty much stick with our type. That's not a church. If you've got a church that's just your type, that's not a church. That's a poor man's country club. <laughs> or a religious jigsaw. We receive one another. Red and yellow, black and white, scotch plaid, they're all precious in his sight. Well-educated, uneducated, it don't matter. We'll, we'll even take people from, we'll take them all. That's the one, that's how we take care of one another. All right, this week, we're going to put two and three together since they're so close. The Bible said we're to do what? The Bible said we are to honor one another and edify one another and build one another up. Listen, till we do this, we don't have church. We've got a preaching room, but we need a church. And there's a reason for this. I want you to look with me at these scriptures. Uh, number two, they're honoring. We'll turn there to Romans chapter 12, one book back from 1 Corinthians Let's see what the Bible says about this. All right, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love if you feel like it. Y'all see that in there? All right, dear ones, one of the things we've got to quit doing, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, one of the things you've got to quit doing is acting like you feel. This is the greatest message you'll ever hear in your life. You got to quit acting like you feel. You got to start doing what the man says. Because there's days I just feel so mushy toward y'all. I feel so kind. I love y'all. Oh, I love y'all. And there's days I could slap you naked when you cut up. <laughs> Are you not the same way? Are your feelings not up and down all over the board? Who cares about feelings? God's word stays the same. And I have to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to go back and go through this again. My marriage is what it is because of the way we choose choose to treat each other on the days we feel like it I'm preaching better than you amen and on the days we feel like it and on the days we don't we obey God anyway my family's what it is because of the way we treat each other choose to treat each other there's times we feel like being real nice to each other there's times we might feel a little grouchy who cares? I can still make a decision to act a certain way. You see, that sounds like hypocrisy to me. Sounds like obeying God to me. Sounds like faith to me. And let me tell you something, we build a church. We don't treat each other the way we feel like. We treat each other by faith the way the word says to. And we honor one another. Listen, boy, we have lost honor in this land. We have got to build a house of honor. People have got to be honored. I want you to look at me in chapter 14. At the other, Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says this. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by one, which one may do what? Edify, edify who? Another, one another. Did the Bible tell me to edify one another? Did it tell me to pursue it and go after it? All right, now this, listen, this is so weird in the American church, but what did the Bible tell me to pursue? 
All right, I say, I got, I got friends of mine. Well, y'all, y'all are my friends. I just say, how, what can I do to edify? What can I do? Pursue means, what, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What, what do I do? See where the Bible tells me to pursue the things. How, how can I help him? What can I say to her? How can I help her? What can I say? That's what it means to pursue the things that, that what? Edif- what's edify mean? Build up. That you build people up. What am I supposed to pursue? I hope he don't go past lunchtime. Sure is an ugly shirt he's got on. No, no, what, what am I pursuing when I come to church? What am I pursuing? What can I say? What can I do? How can I help them? That's called New Testament church. That's what we do when we come here. All right, the scripture teaches you and I would do this. Let's look at one more scripture. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, I'm going to show you what the Bible said about church, and I want you to tell me if we're even close to it in this nation. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. 1 Corinthians 14. All right, dear ones, pursue. The Bible said this. Pursue love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says this. Pursue love. How many believe we ought to pursue love? How many believe we ought to pursue love? You maybe think I made that up. Pursue love and do What? Tell me what everybody in this room should be desiring. What does it say? Desire spiritual gifts. I remember those spiritual gifts are still in effect today. And we should still be doing what? We should desire spiritual gifts. In other words, a spiritual gift is something God gives you to use to help people. And there's about 27 of them listed in the New Testament. Everybody's got one. So we should desire spiritual gifts. What's the number one spiritual gift you ought to pursue? Desire. What does it say in that first verse? Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might what? I want you to look at that verse. Everybody in this room ought to be chasing prophecy. Everybody in this room ought to be pursuing prophecy. The Bible tells me that's the number one gift that I'm supposed to pursue. Look with me in verse. You say, well, what is that? Verse three. He who prophesies does what? He speaks. To prophesy is to speak, not to the Lord, to who? to people, to prophesize, to speak to people. And he said, the number one gift you ought to pursue is to speak prophecy to people. Now, what is it? Let's read it together. Verse three, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation. You know what exhortation is? The best way I know to call it is exhortation is to honk people on. It's to challenge people. You, you can do it. to encourage. Let's use the word encouragement. Encouragement is close enough and comfort. What's comfort? If you're hurting, I need to speak to you in a way to help you and speak peace to you. What the Bible says I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm in a church, what's the number one thing I pursue? I need to pursue how I can talk to you. What does it say? One another, not me. I'm going to do it anyway. But everybody in this room should be talking to each other. What should they be saying? What do they pursue? What can I say to build them up, encourage them, and comfort them if they're hurting? That's what it means to build one another up. That's how we treat one another. Dear ones, people get beat up enough during the week. People hear garbage during the week. People get flooded during the week. What does the Bible say right there? When we come to church, what should people hear? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. This is a place where people need to be built up. So the Bible said we pursue that and uh, said, I want you to edify the church. All right. Let's do this. Look with, me in, uh, look with me in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Now, I've had people say this to me. 
Brother Brian, we're looking for a church or we're, we're looking for a church. And, and let me tell you what people look for when they look for a church. We're looking for a church that can meet our needs or meet our family's needs. Why are you doing that? I don't see anywhere in the Bible where you're supposed to look for a church that can meet your needs. Why don't you look for a church where you can meet their needs? Is this wild or what? This sounds strange, doesn't it? Guess where I got this from? Guess which book we get this out of? Look with me in verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together? What does it mean when you come together? When the church meets. When you come together, watch this. What's the word each mean? What does each of you mean? Is that every person that came together? How is it when the church meets, each of you, watch this, has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation? Let everything be done for what? All right, listen, what happens? Here's the American church. Here's our church. We come together. The choir sings. Everybody enjoys it. We holler. We enjoyed that. The preacher preaches. We, if it's a good day, we enjoy it. If it's not, we endure it. We get through the thing. And then we all go home. What does the Bible say? When this place comes together, everybody should come in here with something. Everybody brings something with them. How is it each of you brings? And they say, listen, I heard a song this week I think will help. I've got this. I think this will help you. Whose job is it to build up the church? What does it say in that verse? What's the word? Each one of you. They say, man, this sounds strange compared to what? This is New Testament. This is the teaching of what we do. All right. In the New Testament, everybody does that. I want to take just a minute here. Uh, by the way, look, look at the person beside you and say, I'm fixing to build you up. Look back at him and say, good luck. Let me ask you a question. We talk about building people up. Are you talking about their heads or their hearts? We're talking about the heart. Doing It's out of your heart that you live. We live out of our hearts. And the Bible teaches you and I that this ought to be a house where people come here and they get their hearts built up. It ought to be a place for the heart. Your responsibility to your church is not just to attend or to give or whatnot. Your responsibility when you come here is to build people up at heart level. At heart level. I don't take a minute and tell you how we do that. You cannot be an encourager. You can't build people up until you understand the human heart. If you don't understand the human heart, you'll destroy people's hearts. And we got a lot of wounded hearts walking around in the land today. Got a lot of them in churches today. We're treating our hearts terrible in this land today. But the Bible said, guard your heart and edify it. I want to talk to you about your heart for a minute. I'm going to give you from scripture several things that God put in your heart when he created you. Now the Lord created you, he put a heart in here. And the Bible said this in Hebrews 8.10, he has written his law on your heart. That means he put some things in your heart. How many of you have a heart? How many of your heart needs something? That's why the Bible said, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Your heart's got desires. I'm going to give you several from scripture. In other words, you can't build people up to understand the human heart. You've got to understand people and know what to say to them. Number one, number one desire of the human heart. Uh, scripture teaches you and I this. Number one, everybody wants somebody to care about them. You agree with me? Everybody wants somebody to care about them. That, that's just something God put in every human heart. People want to be cared for. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is in Psalm 124 where David said, I looked to my left, I looked to my right, and there was no man that cared for my soul. What's happening in this land today? People, people say, nobody cares about me. Nobody cares what happens to me. When you come in this church, what ought to happen in this house? 
you ought to know, them people care about me. They care what happens to me. And the, the heart is needing a place where it can be cared for. And you know that you care for me. First Corinthians 12, 25, I'm gonna quote it again. I place the members in the body that they should care for one another. People should come to this house and know that they're being taken care of. Uh, what is the heart of Jesus? Let me say it, let me quote it again. John 21, 16. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Care for the people. Number two, second need of the human heart. Everybody wants somebody to be excited about them. You believe that? A lot of people get older and their hearts get burned and they get hard. They don't do it anymore, but it's still in there. All right, you got a little, little child and a little child takes a crayon. They draw something on a paper. And they come, what do they do with it? What do they do with it? No, they can say, look, look, daddy, look, look, daddy, look. And they hold that little thing. You say, honey, that's, that's the prettiest dinosaur, whatever it is. That's the prettiest thing I've ever seen right there. What's that child wanting? Are you excited about me? Are you excited about what I did? You say, well, yeah, we get over that when we get grown. No, we don't. People love for somebody to be, people long for somebody to be excited about them. We got a girl here that goes to our church. I went to her grandfather's funeral. She loved her grandpa uh, dearly. And she was so sad when he died. And she said, let me tell you why I love my grandpa so much. I mean, everybody should love their grandpa. She said, he was so excited about everything I did. She said, I'd go in a nursing home to visit him. And when I'd walk in the room, he'd start clapping. When I came in the room, he was so excited I was there. Why should that matter to somebody? Because this heart wants somebody to be excited about them. Guess what this house ought to be? Place you ship, we go, good to see you. Glad you're here today. Our people are excited because you showed up today. Number three, everybody needs mercy. Every human heart longs for mercy. There is a human heart is crying out for mercy because all, we've all missed it. And the greatest picture of mercy in the Bible, churches are killing people in this area right here. And the greatest picture of mercy in the Bible, perhaps, is John chapter 8, where Jesus was in the church one day, and the ministers brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. She'd been caught in sin with another man. And the ministers brought her, and they put her in the middle, and they said to Jesus, the law says to stone her. You know what stoning is? It's when they take you to the city wall, and they put you against the wall, and then 10, 12 people will gather around a semicircle and take stones and just pelt you with those stones till it kills you. Horrible way to die. That's how Stephen was killed in the Bible. And they said, the law says to stoner, what do you say? And they were wanting to criticize Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, go ahead, kill her. Go ahead and stone her. But you pick up a rock to throw at her, you better be perfect. Let he who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And Jesus stepped in and they, they walked off and Jesus stepped in and he said, where are your accusers? She said, no one has condemned me, Lord. And he said, neither do I. Now he did say, go and send them. He called her a sinner. He said, go and send no more. But you know why she loved that man? Because he spoke to her and he showed her mercy. This heart longs for mercy. People long for mercy. Guess where they ought to find it? How many people go to church and get beat up in church? Church is not a place where you ought to get beat up. You ought to get built up. How many of you know that those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus, we're liable to make a mistake. Not you. Me. Listen to what I'm fixing to say. You become a merciful person. You show people mercy. They will follow you till the cows come home. They'll be loyal to you. They will love you. This ought to be a house of mercy. This is a place where people can find mercy in their lives. Number four, everybody needs hope. 
we're losing hope in this land. And I'm watching people that are giving up on their families. They're giving up on themselves. Many people have given up on our nation already. And they say, well, I don't, they're starting to lose. Listen, you, this is not original with me. You can live about 40 days without food, about eight days, seven, eight days without water, eight minutes without air. You can't live one second without hope. Hope in the human heart is what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what drives us. What happens when we lose hope? Listen, the church ought to be the house of hope. If my God is who he says he is, this ought to be a house of hope. And people ought to come here and find, I mean, people ought to come here discouraged, troubled, struggling, and you ought to speak up and say to them, God will make a way in your life. God's going to help you. One of the greatest passages, I just love Psalm 27, verse 13 says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed I was going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Ben, I, your responsibility to each other is to bring, speak hope into people's lives. People struggling through things with their families and they sit there and you're supposed to lean over and say, you, you come over here, come, come, come with me right now. We're going to pray and God's going to do something in this situation. That's what church is. It's where people speak hope to one another. It's where the people build one another up. Do you know how many people are poking through life right now with difficult circumstances? Then church is not someplace where you go and learn that Rehoboam beget Jeroboam and all the other Boam boys. That ain't worth a... That's as useless as a screen door on a submarine in today's life. I'm not against Rehoboam and Jeroboam and whoever they are. I don't know who they are. But I know this. If a woman comes in here and Romeo has run off with some other woman and she's got three kids she don't know how to take care of now, she don't give a rip about Rehoboam. She needs to know, will God help me? That's hope. That's what this place is for, for hope. You say, well, preacher, talk to him. I can't talk to but so many people. We got to get over this American. He will talk to us. The Bible said you take care of one another. The people build up on you. So I'm, I'm not that good at that kind of stuff. Practice, you'll get better. Listen to me. If you wait till you're good at it, you'll never do it. You get good by jumping out there. If I can't even find, I don't know palms from job in the Bible. You got the spirit of God inside of you. Open your mouth, he'll speak. And speak hope to people and grab people. So I'm not that good. This is out of my comfort zone. You look up here, look right up here. You are not following Jesus till you're out of your comfort zone. This American live in my comfort zone. That ain't the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible jerks you out of your comfort zone. You don't have to amen. I know this is true. I'll amen. I'll amen myself. Praise God, preacher. That's truth. Let me tell you about when you start helping people and you start speaking to people and start praying for people, it'll scare you spitless till you get going. Then you'll say, God Almighty, this is fun. You'll get addicted to it. Guess why? Take no thought for what you will speak for it'll not be you who speaks, but the spirit of your father who will talk through you. And we need to speak hope to people. There is no sense in anybody being beat down in this house if this is a New Testament church. I mean, you ought to just be looking around you all the time. In the lobby, don't do it in the bathroom, in the lobby. <laughs> while people are seated out here, y'all just be watching people all the time. See if you see pain on their faces. See if you see them struggling. When you do, 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 do. <laughs> don't call the preacher. 
you're a redeemed child of the living God with the Holy Spirit inside of you. You've got Jesus in you. You go talk to him. Did God send you to this church? We uncovered this. It wasn't 10 minutes ago. Did God send you to this church? Then you are here to take care of the people sitting beside you and speak hope to them and speak into them. There was one word. A word changes people's lives. Listen, if you want a spiritual gift, desire to prophesy. He who prophesies speaks encouragement, edification, and comfort to people that God yoked them with. Truth is, we're living in a society that just beats a tar out of people. And people are struggling today. And they need, to, they need to hear a good word spoken in due season. And that's you right there. All right, <clears throat> got sort of hung up on that. Number five, see if you agree with this from scripture. Everybody wants to be somebody. Everybody wants to be somebody. So where'd you get that from? Why does it say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 31? The Bible said, a sparrow, two sparrows are sold for a penny, five sparrows sold for two pennies. Do you not know that you are of more value than many sparrows to your father. The Bible talks about valuing people. Now, let me tell you what happened. About 40 years ago, we began to teach evolution in the public schools. What's the problem with teaching people that they're no more than a slug or a dog or they got no more value than an animal and you just, basically, you just a sack of sails waiting to expire, which is what evolution says. There's no creator. I'm not special. I was just, I'm just another one of the masses and one day I'm gonna die and rot and that's it. What does that do to people's hearts? People inside, they know better than that. I, I am a creator. I'm in the image of God. There's more to me than just my body. And this is a house where people need to know you're valuable to me. You need to let them know. You need to walk in people and say, I want to tell you something, I love you. The microphones. You need to walk up people and you need to say, listen, I love you. You say, I have a hard time saying to people, talking to people like that. Practice. You need to let people know you're valuable to me. People need to know it. The teenagers that go to church here, they get, they get the tar beat out of them in public schools. They should come here and be so built up by the time they walk out of here, they can chase it another day out there. These mamas that are trying to raise kids by themselves, they ought to walk out of here six inches on, above the ground because of what you do to them when they get in here. This is called church. This is called New Testament church where you edify one another. And you build people up in the house of the Lord. Everybody wants to be somebody valuable. Now listen to this one. Everybody needs heart level communication. Everybody needs to open their hearts to somebody. I'm not talking about the surfacey stuff that we do in most churches. How are you doing? Praise the Lord. I'm fine. How are you doing? Praise the Lord. I'm fine. Hallelujah. Is everything fine? I'm fine. You're fine. Everybody's fine. We're all fine. That's surface level nonsense. People need to open their hearts to one another. I want you to listen to what the Bible said about the human heart in uh, Psalm chapter 62, verse 8. Pour out your heart to God. But you don't just pour it out to God. Who else do you pour it out to? You know, listen, the Bible teaches that people long for somebody to listen to what they've got to say at their heart level. They want somebody to share their pain and their suffering at heart level. One of the funniest things in the Bible I've ever seen, I don't know if you remember this or not, Jesus had been crucified and he'd risen from the dead and the women had seen him and they went back and told the folks, but nobody believed them. 
And the Bible said right after that, there were two men walking on a road. It was called the road to Emmaus. And they're walking on the road to Emmaus and it said, Jesus joined them. He walked up beside them, but they didn't recognize him because he had his resurrected body. They didn't know who he was. And he said to him, he said, why is your countenance so sad? Why are you so sad? What are you talking about? And they said to him, are you the only person in Jerusalem that don't know what has happened in the last few days? And Jesus said to them, tell me about it. Do you really think Jesus needed to be told he'd been crucified? You really think he'd forgotten it? Why did Jesus tell them to open your heart and tell me what's, what's troubling you? What's, what's wrong here? Tell me what's troubling you. Why did he ask them to tell him about the crucifixion? He was there. Jesus didn't need to hear it. They needed to tell it. He understood the human heart. He knows we need to let these people open their hearts. Let them, let them pour their... Listen, we live in a day where people are so fearful of opening their hearts to anybody because they're scared of what people are going to do with them. You don't have a church till people can tell the truth. And we, we've built churches in our land where the church is the last place you're going to tell the truth. Come in your small group or something and say, listen, our marriage is in trouble. Would y'all pray for us? That's church. And people go, yes, we will. We've been there. And we're for you here. And people have a place they can come and bring their problems and open their hearts to them. They can open their hearts to people. Listen, that's why small groups are so important. Listen to what the Bible says in James 5, 16. Confess your faults. How many of we should confess our faults? Okay, Brother Brown, I'll tell him. No, it doesn't say to him. Confess your faults. Here's another one of the one another's. Confess your faults to one another. And then what's the rest of it say? And then pray for each other so you can be healed. You know what church is? It's where you can come tell people I'm struggling. I'm starting to wonder if this Jesus stuff is real. Would y'all help me? Until you have that, you don't have church. Because people need to open their hearts honestly and know I can trust y'all not to hurt me. I can trust y'all to tell. I can trust y'all to pray for me. Our family's in trouble. Our kids are in trouble, in trouble. And I need for y'all to pray for me and not judge me. I need for you to get in here. There was, this is called church. This is called bearing one another's burdens. This is called weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. You can't do that this way. You got to do it this way. And that's why small groups are so important to get in. I mean, it, it, we need to worship together. The Bible said that they met together in the temple and from house to house. And you need to come in here and you need to be taught God's word. You need to worship corporately, have communion, things like that. But you need to be with a group of people that head to where you are and say, come in here and let's help each other. And I need, when I'm struggling, I need somebody to pray with me. So I don't struggle. You're lying. I struggle. But the problem is I'm so old and I'm so free, I'll stand up and tell the world if I'm having trouble. If I was struggling, would y'all pray for me or would you criticize me? I ain't hard. Would you pray for me? You criticize me. <laughs> I'd hope you would. I'm not going to be a plastic preacher who smiles all the time, pretends everything's great. If I struggle, I'm going to come in here and tell you. And I expect you to pray for me so I can be healed. That's called church. Don't you know people are looking for a place like that where you can come and be helped? That's why I said build one another up. Help one another and do that. Let me do one more real quick. See if you don't agree with this. Human heart. Everybody wants to contribute. Everybody wants to know, I didn't just take up space on this planet. I helped. I gave something to this place. I helped people. I contributed to this planet before I got off of it. Listen, you know what that's called? 
church. God places the members in the body just as he pleased. And if, if you're born again, everybody in this room, you have what's called a spiritual gift. Let's turn and look at it. Turn me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, spiritual gift is not spiritual maturity. You get it the first day you start following Jesus. It's something God gives you and he gives it to you for a reason. You can't use your spiritual gift apart from the church. You just can't do it. Every born again person has a spiritual gift. God gave it to you the day you were born again. And as I said, there are about 26 or 27 of them listed in the New Testament. Depends on how you count them. But everybody in this room, that's, if you're a child of God, you got one. You need to find out what your spiritual gift is and then what do you need to do with it? Take a wild guess. Hide it under a bushel. No, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this. As each one has received a gift. Tell me how many people have gifts. What's yours? Does anybody know what your spiritual gift is? All right, we better do that too then. My spiritual gift is teaching. I don't, I don't have, I've got three or four of them. My spiritual gift is teaching. I, don't, I didn't go to school and learn how to do this. I can stand up and fuss at y'all all day long. It's natural to me. My gift is to help people understand the truths of God through his word. One of my gifts is exhortation. I've just got a natural gift to build people up. I don't, I don't have to remember to do it. It's just natural for me to be around people privately and want to build them up. And uh, every one of you has got a gift. And it depends, the differences of gifts. The Bible said everybody's got a gift, verse 10. Minister it to who? All right, if everybody in the church has got a gift and you're supposed to do what with it? Minister it to one another. Share with one another. As good stewards, what's a steward? That's somebody who has been given something that belongs to somebody else and they're supposed to take care of it. You know, as God gave you his Holy Spirit inside of you, he gave you a gift and he wants you to take that thing and use it. Now we have different people have different gifts. We've got folks that work in our kitchen here and they love it. They love being in there. Well, that's not the gift of teaching. That's the gift of helps. And they love to serve like that. I had a fellow one time years ago. I can tell we're going to have to do some spiritual gift teaching in here because I got to get y'all all on your gifts and get you to use them. Here's my point. When you use your gift, your heart will love it. You'll say, man, I, I love that. If you hate what you're doing, that's not your spiritual gift. You put me in the nursery, number one, I'm going to be miserable. Number two, you know, the children ain't coming back. <laughs> Sit down, shut up, mind your manners. over here in a little bit. I just, that's not my thing. You say, that's awful. It's not my gift. It's my thing right here. You put me in the kitchen, I'll tear something up. It's not my deal. It's my gift right here. When you find your gift, you would pay to use it. I'd pay to fuss at y'all like this. All right, years ago, I had a fellow who's in my church and he had a brain tumor and he was one of my dearest, dearest friends. He was a salesman, just a great guy, had a brain tumor and he was slowly dying from this brain tumor. Well, he had a brother who was a deputy in the Guilford County Sheriff's Office and he was tough. He, he could sit down and keep his chest stuck out. I never figured out how he could do that. But he was always just tough and he was mean too and he was crotchety. Y'all know what crotchety means? I'd try to be nice to him. He just be, he hated preachers and hated this God stuff. He said for weaklings. And he just was just mean all the time. Of course, I interacted with him at the hospital with his brother all the time. And I'd just try to be nice to him. He just mean and crotchety. Had his chest stuck out all the time because he's tough. <laughs> Bless his dear heart. And uh, his brother died. Had the funeral. He got saved at his brother's funeral. I mean, God jumped on top of him and did not get off his head till he was new. He got transformed and he was immediately changed. You know how I knew he was changed? Because the way he treated people changed. He became tenderhearted and became kind and gracious and he began to treat people different. Well, of course, he came to my church after he got saved and I said, I got to find him something to do. 
And uh, so I made, I told him, I said, you're so good at this. I'm going to make you the head greeter at the main front door. And your job, every time we have some, you be at this door right here. Don't you let anybody get through this door without you loving them and hugging them. You understand me? I can do it. That's what he did. He ate that up. He loved it. He'd stand at the front door. He'd hug everybody that came through and encourage, and he just would smile so big. He never smiled in his life. I don't know how he learned so quick. He started smiling at people. He, I mean, people just felt like they were, like they were VIPs. If you tried to get here, he'd say, hey, come back here. I haven't hugged you yet. He'd call them back over and hug them. That was his, he had the gift of hospitality, which is a spiritual gift. He just loved to make people feel warm and welcome and greet them and waller all over them. And I'd say, now, if you, somebody don't let you hug them, you tell me who they are. I'll call them out in church. We'll get straightened out out there. <laughs> Every one of you has got a spiritual gift. And your heart will delight when you use it. You've got to find your gift. I guess I better do that next week. We've got to find your gift. Put you to using that thing so that the church can be built up. All right, you got it? Dear ones, <clears throat> Here's church. This is a real church. When I realize God put me in this place and if God didn't put you in this place, find where he did put you. But there's a place in God's heart for you and it's in one of his churches somewhere. And you're not there to listen to the man talk only. You're not there just to sing only. See that person sitting beside you? That is your brother. That is your sister. I don't even know their name. Well, you, get, you need to get to finding out. And you're, you come here every Sunday to do what? Or during the week, get together. I'm responsible for these people. I, I thought this saying up. I thought it up all by myself. I thought this saying up all by myself. You ready? You sure? I thought this up all by myself. Am I my brother's keeper? I did not think that up all by myself. Guess where I got that saying from? A man in the Bible asked God, am I my brother's keeper? Guess what God Almighty told him? You got it, Jack. You sure are. Listen to me. Then people sitting around you, you are responsible for their well-being. You're responsible for those folks. You're responsible to let them know I care about you and you're valuable to me. And if I see you struggling, I'm going to grab you and I'm going to pray for you and you can talk to me. If you need somebody to talk to, come on, let's go get coffee. And dear ones, this is called church. This, this is where people knock the plastic off and knock the phoniness off and open their hearts and say, why can't we be one? And let's be one. I'm quick telling you a story. A friend of mine, we moved uh, to a place called Sophia, North Carolina years ago. And we moved right beside a place called Place, a place for the Heart. My buddy Ken Hellsher, I'd known Ken before we got there. And Ken built a retreat center out in the country. And it's called A Place for the Heart. And they have men's retreats out there. Start out with men's retreats and they have conferences and all kinds of stuff. Beautiful setting out there. And I asked him one day, me and we were sitting out there on a picnic table talking. I said, this is a weird name for a retreat center. I said, why'd you name it a place for the heart? And he said, we got too many places in this land that are a place for the head. He said, we got enough places. He said, you know, Baptist, which we were, he said, you know, we got places for the head. They're called seminary. And he said, we got places for the belly. They're called fellowship halls. He said, what we need in this land is a place for the heart because people's hearts are hurting. And he said, I wanted to build a place where people can come and be encouraged and built up and loved and cared for. And that's why we built this place and said, we've stuck with it ever since. This is going to be a place where people can come and their hearts can be built up. I remember leaving that day and I'm thinking, we need that. Good idea. And I remember thinking, why can't our homes be like that? 
if kids get beat up at school and people get beat up at work and people get sewage poured all over them by what we call media and the way people talk in public, why can't our homes be a place where people go and get their hearts healed? And we decided our house is going to be a place for the heart. And we raised our kids. There ain't going to be no ugly talking here. We're not tearing one another down. We're going to cheer for each other in this house. And we're going to love each other. We're going to care about each other here. Home ought to be a place for the heart. And then I got to thinking this. I really got wild and I said, why can't a church be that? Why can't a church be a place for the heart instead of just a place for the head? Now, we're pretty, we don't do that well at this stuff because we bang and bump one another once in a while. But I'm telling you, that book right there teaches a church should be a place for the heart where people can come and their hearts can be healed and be touched and be edified and built up. Now, guess who the new preacher is here? Okay, raise your right hand. You are ordained. Put your hand down. <laughs> Learn your Bible on your own. That's the way I learned it. I just bought a Bible. People say, I don't know the Bible. Buy you one and start reading it. You'll know it. But I'm going to tell you what you do know. You do know that person sitting beside you has got a heart and it needs to be taken care of. Don't call me. That's your job. I'm not getting many amens this morning, am I? But I am right on the money, ain't I? Golly, finally, they did agree with one thing. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. I always thought church was weird, dear Jesus. I always thought it was weird that we had to go sit and listen to people sing and some guy get up and fuss and people acted real stiff and didn't talk to each other and, and then they charged you for it. I never understood that. When I open your word and I see what church is supposed to be, a place for the heart, a place where people cheer for one another and encourage one another and care for one another no matter what you've been through and show kindness and mercy to one another when we screw up and give each other a chance to use what you gave us. The church in the Bible makes sense. Now, Lord Jesus, we got a long way to go from what we got on this property to what's in that book. But I'm asking you, get us there. This is your will. And you're not going to change your word to suit our program. We're going to change our program to suit your word. So I ask you in Jesus' name, build a place for the heart on this property right here. A place where people can be cared for. A place where people who are abused at home, beat up at work, can come in here and find something for the heart and can find people that care about them. I trust you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen.